when we speak with the highest level organizations, CEOs, and ask them what keeps them up at night, it's about becoming obsolete because what they're realizing is that the digital revolution is changing industries. Um, it's flipping industries on their head, and in some cases, uh, it's completely eliminating industries. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. I'm Krista Crum, Analyst Relations Lead at Esri, and I'll be your host for today. You just heard Matt Zenas, Global Vice President, Database and Data Management Solution Go-To-Market at SAP, talk about the disruption that digital transformation brings to all industries. Today, innovative companies see the value of location intelligence technologies to realize their digital transformation and drive growth. Here, Esri CMO Mariana Cantor investigate the best practices of insight-driven organizations that rely on location technology to gain competitive edge. Hi, Matt. Thanks for being here with us. Thank you. It's great being here again. I especially appreciated your uniquely forward-thinking and clear perspective on how businesses are leveraging some of the most powerful technology trends today. Previously, we discussed how location intelligence has become critical for business as an enabler across a variety of industries and how the ability to process, compute, and integrate geospatial data within the enterprise is increasingly a key success factor in business. Today, I would like to build on that conversation and explore how location intelligence is affecting various functions within the enterprise and across the value chain. So can you talk about which functional areas, marketing, sales, services, operations, distribution, supply chain, and so on, are at the forefront of this transformation? Absolutely. You know, when we look at the modern enterprise, you have these line of business organizations uh, that have different histories and how they've evolved and, and dependencies on different types of systems. Uh, we certainly see, and I think I mentioned this before, the, what I'll call the, the traditional lines of business or functional areas that have had that traditional location aspect to it. So, so, so we certainly see uh, such as operations and supply chain and distribution where there's that very clear where component that we see them more at the forefront, probably more leading edge, simply because they've had more experience in that in that particular area. Where we're seeing a, a more of a trend is in a couple areas where you wouldn't necessarily think of them having a traditional location aspect, but certainly uh, sales and marketing. Now, what I mean by that is, of course, in the past, you know, marketing would, ha- would certainly be looking at things from a postal code or a zip code a level. But now, with the, with the advent of, of spatial and devices and things along those lines, we're seeing a lot more in terms of leveraging specific location intelligence. In fact, uh, the idea around location intelligence can be much more prescribed and specific. And what I mean by that is doing things along the lines of digital customer engagement, Mm. leveraging location intelligence. Uh, We're seeing a big uptake and interest in that in in the customer engagement area. Another area as well is is human resources, uh, which is very interesting. Uh, leveraging it from both a, a recruiting perspective uh, as well as um, identifying uh, resources or even um, uh, partners uh, to, to align with. So I would say in those areas we're seeing, um, not, they're not necessarily on the forefront, but definitely um, we're seeing more interest from them in location intelligence. 
Could you walk us through uh, these couple of examples, customer engagement and human resources? What does the workflow look like? And what are some of the advantages of applying location intelligence to those workflows? Yeah. So when you think about customer engagement, um, really it, it, there's kind of two key aspects to it. Uh, there's what we'll call the system of insight and the system of engagement, right? And they're they're built upon each other. Really, the system of engagement built upon the system of insight. And the idea is to automate, in many cases, that workflow, basically taking in a customer interaction, whatever that might be. It could be them calling a call center or interacting something on a website or having a device and moving into a certain area, and then taking in other information, big data, you know, IoT information, uh, predictive demographic information, and then basically uh, running artificial intelligence or machine learning, making some sort of decision, and then perhaps providing an offer to that person in real time. So that would be an example of something like that. Uh, at the heart of a company-wide intelligence um, is clearly a company-wide data strategy. We talked about bringing different data sets together. And the expectations are that we can process, at this point, all types of data, structured, streaming, remote sensing, imagery, unstructured data, and so on, wherever, of course, and whenever we need it. So what are the best practices of an enterprise-level data strategy? Well, there's a couple of pieces to it. The first is, although there is a lot to be said for you know, focusing in on a particular problem and getting a success from that and then moving on to the next, you do need to take a step back and have an overall vision or architecture, right? Have a vision, a to-be architecture that you want to go to. Um, this is absolutely critical. It doesn't necessarily have to be perfect, but you have to understand and lay out what it is you want to get to and what are the key components that are going to, be, that are going to make this up. Now, once you have that architecture, then you need to start understanding exactly where this data resides. The fact of the matter is most organizations today, especially larger enterprises, have on the order between six and eight different cloud providers, platform as a service, software as a service, infrastructure as a service, on-premise. This causes a lot of problems, right? This is about not having trusted data, not having secure data, not having accurate data. And so uh, one of the first things you have to understand is that the vision of trying to bring all this data together in one place, that vision doesn't make sense anymore because there's just simply too many of these sources. So having a virtualization strategy, having a strong digital core that you can leverage as the brain of all this, but being able to reach out to these different uh, cloud instances, services, uh, data stores, things along those lines, and just bring the back the data that you need at that time instead of having that enterprise data warehouse concept. Mm. Now, once you have that, uh, you, so again, you have an architecture, you've realized that you're going to virtualize out to these different data stores. The third and most important thing is a very firm governance strategy. Like I said, uh, the business needs to be assured that the data that they're using is timely and accurate and ultimately governed. What we're finding today is that, speaking with customers and analysts, is that the governance aspect has become uber critical. Uh, in other words, the auditors want to know when you make a decision, they want to understand, well, where did that data come from that, where you made that decision? And then even the, and in the case of location intelligence or spatial, when we talk about you know, a, a point on the map where someone may go dig, 
and that causes a problem in the future, someone may come back and ask, well, why did you dig there? Where did that data come from? Who touched that data? So um, having a very strong data governance is a big part of that strategy. The role that we see more prevalent these days is the chief data officer, or the, uh, some may call it chief, even chief digital officer, uh, that kind of spans this realm between the business and IT as well that's making these sort of decisions to understand what are the business requirements as well as what's the infrastructure needed, um, making decisions such as, you know, is this going to be on-premise? Is this going to be on the cloud? Uh, things along those lines. Last time we talked, it's a related um, topic, we talked about business intelligence and location intelligence converging. Do you see that happening in the workplace? In other words, do the two professions converge? And related to that, what about the demand for data scientists and the role of data scientists and data analysts in that ecosystem? I I would definitely say that the demands that of a user that's using business intelligence today, like your, your standard BI type solution, right, where they're analyzing structured data. Their demands are now more moving towards location intelligence. And what I mean by that is they want to be able to not only see data tabularly and interact with it and ask questions of it, but they also want to see it geographically or spatially and interact with it as well. Just as even a few years ago, what I'll call that citizen data scientist, maybe that power user type of person who may not really have a data science degree, but they know enough about where data is from and how to interact with it to explore that data. And spatial is, is in that same realm, that there's a demand now, just like they do at home with their own devices and seeing things on maps. They want to interact with a map and see the data change. They want to interact with the data and see the map change. The business executives that you've talked to in the past 12 months, what's the highest on their priority list or top three? Well, uh, basically, um, this goes back to what we're in right now, this digital revolution, you know, going to become that, that intelligent digital enterprise. When we speak with the highest level organizations, CEOs, and ask them what keeps them up at night, it's about becoming obsolete because what they're realizing is that the digital revolution is changing industries. Um, it's flipping industries on their head, and in some cases, uh, completely eliminating industries. And uh, many of these executives believe that this is going to affect their industry, but very few have a plan or a very, very specific plan about how they're going to address it. And so this is top of mind for them, is how can they continue to run their business, but then also become more innovative? Uh, you know, you talk to some, what you consider... Uh, legacy-type companies, you know, maybe they're like a shipping company or an airline or something like that. In the past, they would consider themselves, hey, you know, I, I ship goods and services. And you can think of a couple companies on top of your head. Now, they think of themselves as technology companies that just happen to deliver stuff. So business models are changing and the nature of business itself is changing. Absolutely. And this is what keeps them up is how can they keep up with this change? How do they not become obsolete? Matt, you have a global perspective from your work at SAP. In what parts of the world do you find businesses with the most advanced uses of spatial and business data? Well, first of all, what I would say is we're seeing it everywhere in every region. There is some sort of location intelligence going on, and especially what I would call 
the geo-enablement of the intelligent enterprise. And this is actually where Esri and SAP come together, where it dovetails nicely. Esri represents the science of where, and SAP represents the, the modern intelligent enterprise. And the way that, that we look at it and the way that our customers see it as well is how can we bring the science of where into that intelligent enterprise. And again, we see this happening in all regions, certainly North America, in Europe, as well as in Australia and New Zealand, where right now we're seeing this, the concept and the realization that by bringing location intelligence and spatial data into your enterprise, um, that you can ask a whole new set of questions, you have better insight, you're more innovative, you're driving spatial into your business processes, and ultimately you have a competitive advantage in differentiation. I'd like to take our conversation indoors for a little bit. Um, have you seen businesses working to improve their operations uh, or productivity by monitoring indoor assets? Um, and how are they doing it and to what end? Well, well, certainly this isn't necessarily new, but certainly with IoT you know, in manufacturing, uh, this is really based on you know sensor type technology, uh, using just anything from you know optical you know sort of sort of sensors to understand what's happening on an assembly line or an assembly plant. Um, this has manifested more now into a call uh, like uh, visual type of analysis or video. You know even going beyond RFID, you know that type of thing to understand what's happening within the four walls of the organization. But certainly now machine learning using imagery data has become much more prevalent about what's happening inside an or uh, what's happening in the four walls. Being able to do object classification, anomaly detection, risk prediction, things along those lines. All indoors. All indoors. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a lot more of that. Are there some applications that stand out? Uh, safety mm -hmm. is, is definitely one um, in terms of under, not just uh, where people are, uh, but also in terms of like the, wh where they're moving to, as well as their proximity to other sort of uh, maybe equipment or a process that's going on that may that may cause a problem, uh, using that sort of imagery data, uh, location data as well to identify a potential safety issue. We talked about artificial intelligence and machine learning and how it's applied in business. Are there other technologies that are emerging that we should be on the lookout for in this digital transformation journey? You know, when we talk about imagery data, we're also talking about the usage of drones is mm. actually becoming really, really important. Uh, again, they go hand in hand. You know, when we say imagery, that's kind of nebulous, but drones and imagery um, are becoming important, especially in the utilities, as you, as you would expect, public sector, you know, even entertainment, um, th those type of uh, agriculture, areas. agriculture, absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and um, and in fact, in terms of machine learning uh, and imagery data, there's been some new services actually that SAP has worked on using drone imaging as well as machine learning to be able to predict the yield of crop like oranges or, or palm oil, sugarcane, things along those lines, and then have to make it easy to consume for the business users. And they can do things out of the box like risk prediction for wildfires or a landslide, or it could be crop yield predictions or anomaly detection, object classification, things like that. Matt, what about satellite imagery data? Is there an example of how that's being used? 
Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we have a, a really interesting use case uh, that we worked on with the, uh, the government of Japan, uh, basically predicting landslides. So as you know, uh, Japan is a very beautiful country, but susceptible to natural disasters, and one of them being you know, landslides. And so uh, one of these services I talked about, it's called SAP HANA Spatial Services, it actually has imagery data that we're taking from satellites on a daily basis, where we're looking at various aspects of the earth, soil, water, snow, vegetation, things along those lines. And the purpose of this solution is to do a couple of things. First is to predict landslides before they happen. So it's looking at vegetation. It's also looking at the steepness of grade on, on, on a mountain and also incoming weather patterns and predicting the amount of precipitation that may occur. Then using machine learning, predict in a very specific location where a landslide may occur 10 days out. So it's giving folks a 10-day lead time. Mm. Then local authorities can decide if they want to evacuate that area and the areas below that which may be affected. Now you can be very prescriptive in terms of even you know, which neighborhoods, which homes need to be evacuated, th things along those lines. Then after the event has occurred, being able to look at both now and in the past to see where uh, the disaster has happened, you know, in terms of flooding and things along those lines. And then using, again, machine learning and predictive to determine where rescue encampments need to be put based on which roads are available or have been wiped out. Being able to look at the optimal place to actually put a, a rescue facility and how best to get to these locations. This all using this uh, imagery satellite data, some advanced techniques like machine learning and graph analysis. And then also more recently blockchain has mm. become more relevant as well. And this has to do with the actual uh, the relief goods that come in, using blockchain analysis to validate that there hasn't been a disruption in the supply chain, that the, the, the goods that are coming in, the, the relief goods, uh, things like that, haven't been tampered with. Uh, so the, this all comes together uh, to provide this one type of solution that can be used. And this, uh, this solution is very great interest, definitely to governments, as well as relief organizations. What you just described, this incredible scenario, takes these technologies not only across the departments within a given organization, but across organizations. Is that right? Absolutely. You could imagine a lot of different groups, organizations, bo both within the same um, organization or government, but also outside, being able to look at and take action based on the same information, but it's coming from different sources and all in real time. Right, system of truth. Right. Another example, and this actually is in a completely different industry, is the entertainment industry. An interesting one that we, we've seen is a very large entertainment organization, like, like a circus, and they have a, a show that's based on the actual spatial location of all the folks. So you know, <laughs> normally you want people not to have their phone with them, but now they do, and what they can do is understand you know, where people are in the audience and have a customized experience for that person based on where they are. Wow, that is quite an advancement. What is something that has surprised you in your work over the past, let's say, six months? It is it's definitely the interest in people in bringing together the business data along with the spatial data. We're talking with people that have a lot of this strong background. 
seeing the need and also the desire to bring this message back to their organizations. In fact, no longer do I have to be the one to start the conversation about location intelligence. It's the business user and it's the organizations that are coming to us and proactively asking, how do I do this? Because we know we want to differentiate and we know that this is possible. And that is the message that we want to get across to everyone that this is real, this is happening, and it's not science fiction. Thank you so much for being such an evangelist of a modern intelligent enterprise and location intelligence, uh, Matt, and thank you for being here with us. Great. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Esri and the Science of Where podcast, and thanks to Matt Zenas for unpacking how advanced analytics and location intelligence generate growth and transformation in the digital age. To learn more, download our free ebooks, Making Sense of Digital Transformation, at esri.com forward slash where, and Making the Most of the Internet of Things at esri.com forward slash IOT.